Welcome to Neurosalience, the OHBM podcast. Welcome to the Organization for Human Brain Mapping Neurosalience podcast. I'm your host, Peter Banatini. Here, I interview brain scientists and discuss their work, as well as the latest advances and challenges in the entire field of brain mapping. Today, I'm talking with five leading members of the OHBM Communications Committee, otherwise called ComCom, which was created in 2015 to address the growing need to enhance communication between the society members and leadership. It's rapidly growing, fostering a presence in social media, establishing a website and a blog, increasing connections to, to lay media, and recently starting up and putting in the time to support this very podcast. In general, communication is so absolutely fundamental in science and in any organization. The quality of how information is captured and disseminated directly determines the vibrancy of a field and community. ComCom has been doing a tremendous job at this. And this conversation touches on all aspects of what ComCom does and how their efforts touch us all. We have a really good conversation uh, about some of the nuts and bolts of ComCom, some of the philosophy of ComCom, some of the uh, past accomplishments and, and current challenges. So with that, we'll have our conversation. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to OHBM Neurosalience. And I'm Peter Banatini, and, and uh, today we have a, another really special podcast with the people I work with uh, for helping to produce the Neurosalience podcast, but also uh, they do so much more. This is the, the ComCom, or the Communications Committee of OHBM. And uh, uh, with me today are uh, five members of this who've been part of this for a while. And uh, if I could ask uh, uh, that you introduce yourself just to you know, associate a, a voice with um, your name, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll direct it, uh, maybe first, uh, the way I have it on my screen, Stephanie Forkel. Sure, great. <laughs> Thanks, nice to see you all. Um, so my name is Stephanie Forkel. I'm currently a PI at the Donders Institute in the Netherlands and a assistant professor at Radboud University. And I just moved here from Bordeaux, where I spent the last two years as a Marie Curie Fellow. And I um, recently joined the ComCom. I think I'm the latest addition to the team here. <laughs> recently joined the ComCom, and I'm in charge of the YouTube um, channel at the moment, where I also put the new salience. Yes, yes. Thank you for doing that too. Hopefully, it's. I, I've looked at some of the views, and it seems like it. It really has helped the circulation. So that's that's awesome. Uh, how about Il Ilona Lip? Yes, hi, uh, my name is Ilona. I am currently in Leipzig in Germany, working as a postdoc. And I joined ComCom, I think 2018. And then I took over as a blog team lead. Um, and now I'm the chair since last summer. Yes. Okay, uh, how about Kevin Saitek? Hi, uh, I'm Kevin Titek. I'm currently a research scientist at uh, University of Pittsburgh. Uh, I got started here uh, with the uh, communication committee um, because I was on the student postdoc special interest group. And so I became the liaison 
to ComCom and uh, it was a ton of fun. And Peter was just getting the podcast started uh, with uh, Nils and some other people on the team. And so I joined in on that effort and it's been a really uh, fun ride so far. Hey, thank you. And uh, I've been pronouncing your name wrong for a while. So I, so C-Tech. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah, I usually just let it go. <laughs> okay, how about uh, Elizabeth Dupre? Thanks so much. So hi, I'm Elizabeth. I am uh, just relocated actually to California where I'm now starting as a postdoc at Stanford. I'm coming from just finishing up my PhD in Montreal at McGill. Um, and I also joined ComCom, I think, right at the same time as Ilana in 2018. Uh, but I first joined as a liaison for the Open Science Special Interest Group, um, got really involved, really loved the team, and, and wanted to stay a little bit longer. And I was so lucky that uh, folks allowed me to hang around. And so I've since uh, become involved in a couple different parts, but right now I'm currently the blog team lead um, and then uh, learning so much from Ilana and Niels and we'll take on as chair next year. Okay, thanks. And, and last but not least, uh, Niels Mulhart. Uh, hello, I'm uh, Niels Muller. I'm a lecturer in uh, the University of Manchester in the UK. Um, so I, I was one of the original um, <clears throat> crew that joined the, the call for ComCom, um, and so the original call was in 2015, the end of 2015. So, so I've, I've been here quite a while. I've seen a few faces, um, and and you know, seen people kind of grow, uh, grow in their their positions as well. So I'm I'm currently the the past chair of ComCom, and was chair from I think 2019 through to 2021. So, had a, a slightly longer uh, chair. Um, just before we start talking a little bit about the beginning of ComCom. I'm, I think it's, it's important uh, to, to ask, I think in the context even of, of even trying to, to grow ComCom, uh, what is it, and, and feel free to any of you to jump in and, and mention this, but what is it that motivated you uh, to either, well, I know that, you know, aside from starting it, let's say, you know, what motivated you to put yourself forward to this sort of activity? Because it is sort of peripheral to, you know, the science and it's, uh, what what motivated you to get into this? Uh, was there something about communicating that you thought felt was important that was missing, or, or at least in yourself though, as far as uh, wanting to help? Maybe I can start. Uh, Niels motivated me actually. He hunted <laughs> me <laughs> to write some educational blog posts, and and that really yeah motivated me because I feel like there's so many methods out there and and so many people keen to use them. And it's really important to educate people properly and have some resources. So that's been a large part of my activity and it's been really fun. So yeah. thank you, Neil. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad it was a good thing <laughs> at the end of it. Um, I would say with, with me, uh, so I just moved into a kind of faculty role in the University of Manchester. Um, and at that time I was just saying yes to everything when people were like, do you want to do this? And I was like, yes, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do this as well. And, and just taking on, um, probably too many roles but um but yeah so there was an email that was sent out about you know would anybody like to join comcom you get a chance to try out um you know science communication uh writing more kind of public focus and more outreach uh posts and and at the time i was really into the idea of writing and so you know writing and trying to get like a, a wider audience and thinking about how science can have like a broader impact um, and so that fitted with with all of those kind of aims, so that's how I got into ComCom. 
it's, it's funny. Once ComCom, to me at least, one com, once ComCom existed, it was obvious that it filled a gap. And uh, so initially, I imagine when in 2015, it was it was sort of created to, I think initially to uh, improve communication between council and all of membership. And you had four initial teams, as I understand. You you actually have a really nice recent interview on your on your blog. Um, but those, those teams were social media, the blog, the lay media, and uh, the website. And so, um, so what do you think? And and as Ilona uh, mentioned this a little bit, is that you know it seems that there's uh, was a was a gap in in sort of getting people's you know getting the community getting their head around methods and and techniques and trying to communicate that a little bit better. Even though OHBM did that, but it was more like an you know, sort of ad hoc through the education committee and whatever. Um, so, you know, how did it actually, uh, as far as uh, get started? I mean, so who, who who initiated the idea? And I think uh, Randy Gallup was was part of the early ComCom as well. And uh, what were the first things you did as far as getting it going? So, so in 2014, there was um, uh, an OHBM retreat where the committee members um were we're talking about you know ways to engage the community um and so i think karen berman was the chair at the time and so randy randy gollop who's now the chair of ohbm she brought up this idea of you know there should be like a a community needs or a membership needs survey uh, and find out what do people what do members of ohbm actually want um and, and one of the things that came back is that they wanted engagement outside of the annual meeting you know because the annual meeting was was great there was all kinds of events that happened at that time but then there was a kind of a long winter <laughs> and, and there was there was opportunities to to keep in touch with people to let people know about to let people know about what the OHBM committee were doing what what they were planning what members were up to and so on um, and so ComCom really came out of that and so like following that that membership needs survey uh, Randy put out a call for for people to join in um, and and then once once 16 or so people responded it was a case of kind of divvying them up and thinking like, you know, who's best suited to perhaps working on a website, who's going to get involved with lay media and so on. And so, so this reflected, yeah, some of the things that you were mentioning there, these four kind of groups. So how, so in the, in the very beginnings then, uh, so you started the, the, the blog and, and the various media um, and it seems like it wasn't that hard to recruit people. It seems like you had, you know, a number of people all at once and as far as that's concerned, um, uh, did you find, I mean, like, what were the first, like, real challenges as far as, it was it motivating people to get going, or was it, like, um, finally actually getting out content or, or figuring out your structure? Uh, uh, you know, because it seems that, you know, the goals actually seemed very uh, focused, and that was good, um, but at the same time, and we'll get into this later in the podcast, is that, you know, communication is, is fundamental to all of science and you could there's so many different people there's so many different pieces of information uh it could be huge and uh um uh so do you feel that it seems like you got going pretty quickly as far as that's concerned with the number of very dynamic people getting it going um, there were certainly i mean there were, there were a lot of people um you know with, with a lot of skills at the time so we had like Jeanette Mumford who had you know been involved with her her brain blogs before um, and Mumford brain stats and so she had a lot of um, experience in education and so on and um, we had a few goals that we really needed to sort out like the the old OHBM website was pretty difficult to to navigate it was 
hard to figure out where web pages were, it didn't display well on mobiles and tablets and so on. And so, so there was a sub team, um, which was led by Jeanette and Lisa Nickerson at the time. And they took that on and kind of overhauled the website. Um, and so made it so that you could look back through like previous annual meeting pages without, you know, in a kind of like a clearly structured way and so on. And some, some of the challenges initially was like, how, yeah, how do you, how do you generate content? What do you actually cover? And how do you do a good job of it? Like, so it's, it's, it's easy to, to send somebody like a list of like written questions, but what you get back is just a set of written responses, which have been overthought and, and don't kind of engage people in some sense. Yeah. And so working out like a lot of that and getting used to that was, was really what we spent uh, time in, in the early years. And I think, you know, I'd, I'd probably cringe a bit if I read some of some of my early kind of blog posts because these things kind of develop over time. And, and actually, this is where you know people like like Elena coming in and and suddenly taking on the education posts um, worked really well and and you know fitted with her interests and, and Stephanie's kind of you know video uh, editing that, that fitted with her her background there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like you know taking advantage of the skills of the different people that have come into Compound. Yeah. Yeah. And also developing your own skills as far as, like you said, your writing and, and that sort of thing. But it seems that, right, I mean, ComCom is kind of like, like becoming, I, I almost picture it sort of like the glue uh, or the conduit between other other SIGs, other, you know, everything that needs to communicate. It seems like it might enhance that in some way. Um, and, and it seems also that, uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's many different directions you can go. And uh, uh, we had some head starts as well. So, so um, you know, we had Nicholas uh, Stikov at the time who had his experience with ISMRM. I think they were, they were, he'd been working on, on the highlights, which I think is called Pulse now. Um, yeah. and, and so um, so it wasn't like a, a complete like standing start kind of thing. There was already like that bit of momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And it also seems like you mentioned before also about resonating with, with the people as far as that's concerned. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's that seems to me a fundamental issue with not only giving talks or writing papers or anything is that you want to write it and especially in the context of this blog or other sort of communication forms is a way that resonates with people that it's not too much it's not too little it's information rich but they're not overwhelmed it's it's a it's really an art uh and i think all of you care very much about that as far as that's concerned so when you thought about comcom now so the key thing obviously the low-hanging fruit is the education uh but have you thought about, uh, I mean, what other forms, what other hooks of, inform like, of information that you want to convey? Is it, you know, there's, you know, means many things to many people as far as providing, you know, tutorial information, uh, focus topics on like controversial papers, uh, you know, just information about the meeting. Um, so what are some of the standard things you, you talk about? What maybe has have been some of the uh, more fringe uh, things that maybe were a little bit more risky? Maybe, yeah. If Elena could talk about like how the on-demand tutorials came, came together. Um, yeah, sure. Those weren't the first uh, posts that came when, when I joined, basically. The on-demand was really a, a way to try and promote or inform about the on-demand material that is already on the website. So every year after the, the conference, the videos, especially from the educational courses, often also from symposia and keynote speeches, they get uh, put on the on-demand platform and people can watch them. 
but a lot of people didn't know about and it's also a bit hard to navigate sometimes so we wanted to basically put something together that people could easily use to get their head around the topic and and find the videos that that are really useful and informative because they're made by the experts in the field um, so this has become kind of a more or less regular series now the other regular blog posts are of course the ones around the annual meeting um, interviewing the keynote speakers providing information about the activities of the six and, and committees which is also something if we want to move forward as as ohvm keeps growing um, yes and, and that's also how yeah elizabeth and kevin actually came on board because we, we really interact with the six and they also provide uh, blog material and, and content which is really great yeah so maybe i'll ask elizabeth and kevin so how do you come up with the blog material uh, what do you, what do you are you do you solicit blog material do you I remember one time I was asked to write a blog because I have my own blog and they saw, thought it, they saw it like, you know, controversies or something or, you know, and, and they asked me to write it in that context. But, um, but how do you generally, is it sort of an ad hoc sort of informal thing or do you actually systematic, systematically uh, search uh, certain things or certain people or topics? Yeah, maybe I can start on that. So I would say as, as all things, it's a bit of both. Um, so there are, some things that we do systematically. I think Ilana pointed to one of the really big ones, which is around the annual meeting every year. We have a series of posts like keynote interviews and award winners that we make sure try and get coverage on the blog. We also recently, I think Ilana has really driven this forward, tried to make sure that um, we get quite regular updates from SIGs and committees and, and moving forward chapters. So we have kind of an overview of what's really happening across the entire community. In addition to those kind of like uh, um, set or, or goal posts, we also have a kind of space for community members who are interested to come with their own pieces. So for example, like one of the ways I started was at the time, Kirsty Whitaker and I, through the Open Science SIG, were running these Open Science monthly demo calls where we would uh, speak to different members of the open science community and ask them to kind of like describe their project and how people could get involved and what it was like. Um, and so we do these calls once a month and then I would write up the post and I was like, could we put it on the blog? That would be great. And we were so lucky in that it was like, yes, this is definitely something we can do. And so we just kind of added that in um, because it was a, a, a need from the community. Yeah. But at the same time, like we also just got a really lovely uh, contribution from Alberto Lazari at uh, Wynn about pre-registration in neuroimaging where he was like, you know, this is something that I would like to see covered. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. It would be great if it could go on the blog and that will probably be a one-off post, but it looks amazing. Um, so we're very, very open for community members to add those sorts of things as well. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, that definitely that that blog. Um, I think things like that, where it's not doesn't fall clearly into tutorial and doesn't fall clearly into opinion. It's more like, you know, right. Everyone has sort of think, thought about uh, things like pre-registered studies, and they think, oh my gosh, it seems like a lot of work or whatever. And what do you do? And they usually talk to their colleague, but instead, you can do this sort of thing. Um, uh, cool. And and in these blogs, it seems like you have uh, space for. <laughs> I'm making comments, uh, but uh, you know it, it, it would be interesting actually to try to more encourage uh, 
other users, other readers to, from the community to, to sort of turn it into a forum as well. So as far as reaching out to the lay media, uh, uh, which always seems like a, a challenge because um, you have to sort of contact them or else you might get lucky and they contact you just through some channels. How, how has that worked with you in the past? Uh, um, and how do you think you could make it work better uh, as far as working with the lay media? So, so I mean, there's been a couple of different um, places that, that have you know, agreed to, to publish our posts. Um, initially, we had a, a very good run with Huffington Post. And we had uh, Kevin Weiner, who was on the, who led the the lay media team, and um, and so he he just had this real art of of creating a post, you know, by by folding in things like baseball or falling leaves or something like that. It just had a really good hook to it, uh, and and that that worked really well in kind of you know in going out and getting you know more people involved in it, and and you know he would use those to to then talk about. You know, visual fields that you get from from the occipital cortex or things like that. So you know, pretty pretty um, difficult topics to normally kind of you know uh, bring apart. Um, and so so Huffington Post. Um, so for a while we had about three or four different lay media pieces that went into there. Uh, we had a couple that went into Plus Neuro uh, blogs, which I think David Miller uh, was was leading on uh, at the time. And then we had. Somebody get in touch from Scientific American, or, or we had a contact, and, and, and they just said they'd be amenable. They, so, you know, if we send over like a brief sketch of an idea, then, you know, they can assess it and triage it at that stage. And if it sounds like it's going to be a runner, then, then they'll, they'll, they'll solicit the full thing. Um, and so Teodora Stoika, she came up with this, this really nice post on, on why we sleep and from an, a kind of alien's perspective, like if somebody came to this planet, why, could they understand why we spend eight hours a day, like semi-conscious or non-conscious or whatever. Um, and, and so most of the time it's, it's just trying different avenues, seeing like who would like them. Other times it's, it's just a content that somebody knows and, and uh, we kind of exploit that. Um, but yeah, and, and getting, getting the right kind of, you know, the person who writes a certain way that, that is going to work with those kind of lay media posts is, is, is a hard, it's, it's a challenge, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it that definitely is another level of of writing where it takes much more time and you have to devote all your time to it. And all you know, this is all like at best a couple hour week job for all of us. So it's tough. It's tough. So that's why you know it'd be interesting to potentially hire someone or do some find someone who just wants to spend more time on it. And it'd be kind of cool to go with that. Well, let's talk maybe a little bit. You know, you know, I I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because you know we've talked a little. You know, we're doing the podcast right now. Um, but, but, uh, I found, you know, uh, the podcast to be at least a lot of fun for me and I get a lot of good responses uh, about it. Um, uh, and I think people should be aware of, of how much work goes into that. Uh, and not only that, I'm also talking with Stephanie, like, you know, transferring it to YouTube and using her expertise, um, uh, just to give, make people aware of, of how much work the podcast is. I mean, I was lucky in a sense where I, uh, I kind of, at the very beginnings, sort of thought as a member of the scientific advisory board, and I thought it would be great. And I started talking to ComCom and and uh, and Nicola, um, and and seemed like a good idea. And and yeah, and and, and you took to it, and it was it, it's taken off since then. Um, so, but how, but let me ask you this: uh, Who? So once this podcast is done, so I record it. I I invite the guests. Uh, 
maybe with some input from other people to try to help me find the guests, but I do my best doing that. I come up with sort of the interview sheet, I interview them, record it, and I send the recording uh, off to the off to you, all of you. So what happens then? Just out of curious, just to let people know who, who takes it from there. Sure, maybe I'll take a stab at this. Uh, so uh, the way that it's been working, so well, first off, I just have to say that this is, it's been built really nicely on top of all of the existing uh, ComCom setup and with everything, with the structure as it has been, um, you know, people can come with their interests, with their ideas, and it can pretty easily turn into some whole new effort, right? So Peter comes and you know, he can has some ideas for a podcast and say, all right, great. We have some structure for that. We can throw a few people on it and uh, see where this goes. And uh, we're now on season three, so it's, it's, it's going pretty well. Uh, so uh, once Peter will send us the uh, podcast recordings, uh, we have a whole setup, uh, a system with about uh, five, six people who are involved at some level with the podcast editing. And so beforehand, uh, we'll, we have a, a schedule, a planned out schedule, where we'll add together uh, all of the upcoming uh, episodes and a tentative release date. Uh, and so each person on the podcast team will then sort of claim out some roles for those podcasts. So Peter will send the podcast once it's recorded, the episode, and uh, then one person on the team will go through and make all of the edits to that. And usually it's very minimal edits, uh, maybe cutting out a few ums and normalizing volume, and then also um, appending the intro and, and the outro and a few transitions. So that'll be one person who leads that. So that'll be, you know, whenever I've done that, it's, it's turned into a few hours, but it is always super enlightening, and really great to sort of have the, the first to listen to this really really interesting interview. Um, so that's the, the first person involved. And then the second person involved will um, sort of review that. So they'll go through, listen through it, give some feedback, and then ultimately draft up a, a blog post and the materials for the podcast once we ultimately push it uh, live, which will go, um, we use Anchor FM, it's a Spotify platform, but it'll go to all the major spot, um, podcast platforms. Uh, although that may be uh, adapting soon in the near future. Yeah, so um, the, the beauty for me at this point is that we're starting um, to bring you Salians the podcast to YouTube. Um, and because season one and two have been pretty much completed by the time we made that decision, I get to use all the hard work that you did for the actual podcast and bring that over to YouTube where season one and two was fairly easy um, to implement thanks to all your work. Um, so it's mainly a means of post editing and linking it all together. So every episode, I don't know if anyone binge watched the seasons, but they're nicely linked to each other. Um, and wherever there is um, a reference to like previous history interviews that Niels did or another talk that is available on YouTube, that's all linked. So there will be a pop-up and then you can connect to that. So that's mainly the current work. But as of season three, we are editing the videos 
Um, so that will be a bigger job. Yes. <laughs> and if anyone wants to jump in and help out <laughs> in the community, you're more than welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it actually scares me when I see other professionally produced podcasts where they, you know, every single segment is, you know, the topics are there, there's show notes, there's all kinds of things. You know, there's only so much we have a team to do and uh, let's see how we can go from there. Um, yeah, no, that, and your, your expertise and also, uh, and maybe I'll quickly mention this before we talk about other, other uh, um, lay media stuff is that, you know, uh, the cross posting to, to CNS media uh, or CNS um, Seminars, uh, <laughs> sorry, um, is is awesome. It opens up a new audience as far as that's concerned, and um, you know we want to keep keep that sort of thing going as much as possible. Uh, it would be great to even have live, you know, live feeds, maybe draw more attention or something like that as well. Uh, but we can always we can always talk about that as we go along. Um, so is is there any other? So yeah, so the podcast is working. It's great, and we're hoping to expand our audience uh, even more to lay people in the lay media. And are there any other things that you'd like to mention regarding uh, lay media as far as that's concerned? Maybe I'll just jump in and say it's it's not even possible to keep them under the same umbrella in that it's so much work to do the podcast that it's really its own initiative within ComCom. So we have a whole separate lay media team <laughs> within ComCom to try and manage all of the amount of work that's happening behind the scenes and all these different axes. And so the lay media team lead right now um, is Eduardo Garza, and just within kind of lay media, there's been a lot of thoughts about how do we uh, engage people um, quite broadly. And so I think the podcast has been a really nice kind of point on this in that you started with audio only and now there's a move to video additionally, which is opens up uh, new audiences because you have a new platform. I think in the same way, lay media has been thinking about, we've started with these really beautiful pieces in popular outlets, but there are many other ways that we could try and engage people with lay media. Maybe some, you know, might actually be like video. We keep jokingly talking about TikTok, but I saw Ann Churchland post a TikTok the other day. So it definitely happens and it's great. Um, <laughs> But you, know, you could do video, you could do shorter pieces. So I think Eduardo and the team there has been really kind of thinking about kind of brainstorming the next iteration of what that could look like. And that's a really nice uh, place for folks to jump in if they're interested in, in this kind of direction. The other thing I wanted to say on Lay Media too is that we have started, I think the platform names have already come up. So we've started with Anchor FM and we've started with YouTube. And I think this has been such an amazing way to launch but we recognize the limitations of any particular platform for a global audience like OHBM is. And so there's a lot of interest within the team in figuring out how can we cross post on more platforms that are available for members in other regions. So for example, we've been talking about maybe cross posting the audio on Jimalaya and cross posting the video on Billy Billy. Um, but that's something where we definitely need help uh, from people who are either familiar with those platforms or have easy access to those platforms. So if that's you, or if that sounds like someone you know, please let us know because that should be something that like is very doable and I think would really help to increase the reach of all of these efforts broadly. So going a little bit more towards, I mean, not really lay media, but um, there's other goals too. I mean, there's other, uh, it seems that, that ComCom could have a, I mean, it does, but it could have even a larger sort of role in terms of not only 
amplifying what OHBM offers, but sort of amplifying the voice of the whole community as well. Um, and ha have there been any efforts of trying to, you know, so it seems like, for instance, the podcast or whatever, we, uh, I tend to pick like, you know, prominent people who have written many papers, they have an opinion, but it would be actually interesting to, uh, to go the other way, to try to, to, try to give um, all the members some sort of a voice. Uh, have there been any efforts of, of doing that? And of course, implicitly, they all have a voice in some sense. They just have to contact you and they could write something or do whatever. But is there any way of, of uh, and certainly there's surveys or things like that, but is there any way of uh, 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 further ways of you know, making the communities, the uh, underrepresented countries or whatever, feel a little bit more empowered to hear their, have OHBM hear their needs? And it maybe is, I don't even know if that's ComCom's role. So, yeah, so, so one of the things uh, we have been trying to do over the last couple of years is to, because OHPM is such a global community, to really inform people what's happening around the world in terms of neuroimaging, neuroimaging communities. So we started a blog post series, we kind of call neuroimaging around the world, where we report on, on different areas of the globe and just um, report on what's going on there. We also had a piece during COVID um, where we interviewed different people across the globe about what the situation was with regard to running studies. There was one on Latin America quite recently. And the way we, we went about these posts was to reach out to, to people we knew, but also advertise on Twitter that we're doing these posts and, and get people kind of contact us and, and contribute. And yeah, that's one of the things we want to do a bit more just to really represent the whole community. So yeah, speaking of Twitter, who who does the posting on Twitter? I mean, or maybe you don't, maybe all of you do. Um, <laughs> I've often wondered that myself, but. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was you, Peter. <laughs> well, I do post on Twitter, but not. <laughs> um, so we have to have somebody who works at uh, exec office his name is alex and um, he's helping with comcom and he's basically in charge of the twitter account and also answering questions so for example during the meeting there's often people who ask questions about the venue or like links etc so he would respond to those um but the whole the whole comcom can draft tweets and they will be sent out by him so he's in charge and we all kind of contribute um, Okay, okay. Are there other uh, social media platforms? So we talked about YouTube, Twitter, some of the other ones in other countries. Um, uh, uh, is, I guess uh, Instagram or like, uh, you know, or, or things like that. I don't know how far you can, you know, spread yourself. Facebook. Um, uh, Facebook seems like it could be pretty good, but. Uh, so a lot of the, I mean, the posts are usually, um, the posts that go out on Twitter, uh, about new blogs and so on they, they're usually going out on, on Facebook as well and so there, there's a small cabal of people who like those which is Lucian Udin and, and, and various others uh, which is great <laughs> but um, I think when, when it all started off and we had the Twitter account like one of the ideas was you know do we just like um, retweet or tweet about interesting science studies that come out uh, and one of the challenges was with that was having having a procedure that kind of avoids bias because people would naturally gravitate towards their own field or people they know because that would be in their feed and so on. And so there was going to be an idea, which is where 
if you think a study is particularly interesting, you send it along to a committee and the committee would vet that and check that there's no bias and there would be a three-day process and then after that they would retweet it. And, and it's really onerous. Like, and, and so we kind of drew back from, from doing that. And so now most of the, the, the Twitter communication is, is specifically about you know, the OHBM posts that are coming out from ComCom or about things related to the annual meeting. Um, and and so on and so yeah it was getting that kind of balance initially was it was was quite tricky um, yeah that's tricky right finding a proper way of getting rid of bias I mean it seems that uh... yeah I think um, and, and early on one of one of the concerns is that we'd, we'd, we'd put out a blog post and somebody would get really annoyed and somebody would would contact us and, and be spitting feathers um, and and we haven't we haven't actually had that yet you know you know we've got a few posts going out soon so who knows what happens <laughs> next but um but but yeah we, we've kind of uh, we've, we've walked we've walked on the right side of that line so far i think elizabeth is that no no i think we've i think we have walked on the right side of that line so far at least while i've been watching it and it's uh, i'm i'm glad i have not yet steered the ship off course um <laughs> but i do think yeah this twitter question of like how do we engage on that? And how do we make sure when we're even presenting the blog posts that we're not only presenting them in a way that uh, faithfully adheres to the material, but in a way that gets engagement on the platform and gets people to, to contribute there. Um, that's also something that we've experimented a bit around and I'll be, I'll be interested to see how we can keep experimenting in the near future. Yeah, and, and it's also hard to, to get feedback. Like for instance, with your, with your blog, it's hard to know. Um, not only you can have metrics like how many people read it, but how many people really get moved by it? You know, how many people get motivated? Um, those are in nearly impossible <laughs> to metrics to, to get. But I do think though um, that, <clears throat> that as far as ComCom is concerned, uh, I really, I think that you've entered into the psyche of, of most of the leadership and most of the senior users, uh, a lot of other people just because now they sort of know that ComCom's there and, and they know there's this option for doing this uh, various things and it's open to expressing people's views if they want to. Um, and I think you've helped shape OHBM uh, a lot uh, uh, just simply by having this other way of making an outlet of, of that sort. So, um, but uh, you know, obviously there's so much more that can be done. So uh, one other group that we haven't really talked about is, and it's an important group, but it, it's hard, it's also tricky, is, is funding you know, agencies or things like that. And here's the problem, I think, with, with uh, you know, funding agencies will, will read a paper or talk to an expert and form opinions, and, and then you know, it's, uh, the information is trickled out that way. It would be nice to actually have a, uh, a way to focus the OHBM view uh, so that they could go someplace and say, this is our stance on, you know, whether doing brain-wide associations, uh, for instance, is worth it. Um, and and uh, whether you should just give up or do a million subjects or try to make the methods better. Uh, where is the interesting science? So, you know, I think people, especially those in, in you know, the general public, definitely, but also those in funding agencies who are not experts, uh, they really... I think are looking for that sort of help um, and, and guidance. And I think there's an opportunity. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of curious what you think as far as that's concerned. I guess I'll say uh, we welcome any submissions. Uh, anybody who wants to talk about this uh, will gladly help 
walk through the process. Uh, if you want to workshop some ideas and get some edits, uh, we'll take that. Uh, but also a lot of work that OHBM has done already, for instance, like uh, the Cobitis process, right, is something that we can probably take some good uh, inspiration from, right, of trying to condense um, a lot of the best practices in the field down into a set of recommendable actions and uh, guidelines uh, moving forward. So I feel like that's a good model for us for, for things like this. Clearly, we'll have a little bit more opinion and a little more nuance uh, when, when dealing with these issues. Um, but yeah, I agree. That would be really great to have sort of like a, um, a set of recommendations and also you know how we can interpret certain results or certain experimental designs and, and what it's capable of. Yeah, I was going to jump in and say that those recommendations for funders or publishers or people who are related to science but not directly involved in the everyday business of science always has the tricky side that you have to find a consensus in the first place. And by publishing big papers, for example, they really resonate maybe in one subsection of neurosciences, neuroimaging, but then you are in a slightly related field and you have a very different view. So coming up with a consensus paper that a funder can just pull up and say, oh yeah, let's not do brain-wide association studies anymore, um, as an example, is gonna be an effort. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That, that right. was one thing I wanted to say. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that by um, having those many different platforms that are tricky to manage and synchronize and maintain all the time to make sure that everyone has the relevant information. But another um, possibility that comes with that, um, and we see that with cross-posting the OHBM content on the CNS seminars, is that you tap into a different audience, including funders, publishers, general public, for example, um, and you open up those discussions to new groups and get them on board that way as well. Yeah, another, so um, I guess before, there were, I mean, the, B, the, the BWAS uh, paper, as it's called, like a big star right now, but before before that, there was the, the cluster failure uh, paper that came out and, you know, New York Times were saying, is this all just a glitch that we're seeing when we're looking at fMRI results? And and uh, at the time, Comcom wrote, a, um, a piece called Keep Calm and Scan On. And, and the New York Times used that as part of their counter argument, saying that actually, you know, there, there's, you know, you, you have to look at like both sides and, and, you know, this is talking about specific instances and it doesn't apply to the whole field. Same thing with the BWAS uh, papers, that it, it doesn't mean that all fMRI suffers from those kind of like drawbacks. And I think, you know, having like a, a lay media post that really tries to, to bring balance in and, and to, you know, to, to almost argue it slightly the opposite way. So you're not going for the splashy abstract, which is trying to like um, increase or, or emphasize certain aspects. Um, but yeah, see how you can kind of defuse that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's certainly, you know, proven to be useful in, in, in having a broader impact. And, you know, I think this is something that we're certainly looking to do with the BWAS paper. Yeah. And Peter, you also had a little bit of experience with a, a different, uh, uh, controversy uh, here on the podcast, where you sort of use the podcast to hash out some some differences that was based on a, a prospective paper, right? So maybe you can tell us a little bit about about that, because I think the podcast is a great 
great chance to really get a few people in the room and uh, hopefully talking respectfully and figure out what the you know what what the real issues are and and what's not yeah so what so i'm i'm trying to think I, i've done that a couple of times and some so which one specifically are you you referring to i would think of the uh the brain paper and you had uh yourself ah, right uh, right of course of course yeah yeah no that's actually a great point um uh uh there was a <laughs> it wasn't even a substantial um I mean, it was a it was an editorial by one by the the editor of the brain of of brain um, that was as he mentioned was purposely emotive um, and and it certainly got people going and talking and and we actually invited him. Well, the long story is that uh, Vince Calhoun and myself tried to write a rebuttal, but as the editor, he he sort of rejected the rebuttal. Uh, he kept on rejecting the rebuttal to on brain and um, a little conflict of interest there. But it, but understandably, he was just. Um, Maybe he didn't want, really want rebuttals in that regard, but so we thought, okay, let's just um, have him on the podcast and and talk about it. And so you're right. This is a. I look at all of these controversies, uh, both to address them, both written or or in speaking, um, as an opportunity uh, to to move to push the field forward to to clarify. I I actually like I like it um, when controversies come up because it really helps focus. Uh, you on the problems. Otherwise, you're just kind of going along and things are kind of good and fuzzy. And then suddenly somebody says, uh, you know, for instance, even recently, like, you know, hey, you need a th thousands of subjects to get this tiny effect. And then everyone's like, wait a second, what, what, you know, um, what do we do? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so it really, I, I love, I think, I don't love controversies for the sake of controversies, but I think it's, I think they really work as a way of of pushing the field forward by focusing people's opinions, and then everyone kind of knows what to do next in that regard. So, but yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And I, I think podcasts, you know, it's tricky though, because with podcasts, people have to listen uh, and they might lose something a little bit. So it's, it's nice to have a written form, but that's not too dry, it's accessible. Uh, it's really tricky to try to, to try to address these things well, yet also be accessible to the lay media. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because the lay media, this is what we all react to. Like for instance, you know, when the, when the paper came out, um, uh, uh, New York times or, or even nature had have sort of emotive arguments about it, uh, that, that people are like, wait, no, what, what's going on? And so we're more reacting to the reaction of the lay media, uh, or the, the, the general public. So, um, and that's hard to address well, uh, um, but we can try to work on that. It would be great to, I mean, that would be another thing. I mean, I also think that focusing on these things, you know, helps draw people's attention. So ComCom could have even, uh, I could imagine sort of a, an entire annual page uh, or whatever devoted to the controversies and devoted to expert opinions that just weigh in with a few paragraphs on, on, these, on these various things. I think people, Experts and media, lay media alike would, would really read that um, because it's the controversy that focuses you. Uh, so just a thought, but it's not, yeah, this is about you guys anyway. <laughs> I, um, I think you're having a lot of great ideas, Peter. Um, so yeah, as you said, we need, we need people to, to actually come in and do it. And it's, it's fun to do. I think like, as you said, writing in a different style, addressing different people, it also gives you a different perspective on your own work and makes you take a step back and think about why are we really doing it and 
but it really helps to shape your own research as well, I think. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a completely different way of, of writing and communicating and it's helpful and uh, at the same time, time consuming. So our committee is definitely one of the, the OGBM committees that involve a lot of work outside of, of meetings and brainstorming and uh, really sit down and think through things and, and just do things, um, which, is, which is great in an active committee for sure. Yeah. And I think actually I realized that I, I think that the, the more senior you are, I think that the more likely you are to feel comfortable just saying controversial views or or uh, giving your opinion. And that's the trick. You want to engage all the people in the in the community and get their opinion. But 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 a lot of times people are, are hesitant. Um, you know, uh, it's it's somewhat of a risk to make an opinion about something that's slightly controversial. And so um, and how do you foster that? One thing that's been, you know, it's a real advantage doing this as part of OHBM is, is I think if, if, if one of us was to have, well, perhaps you accept it, uh, the viewer, but if, if one of us was to have a blog post where we were talking, you know, trying to rebut it, I'm not sure we'd get traction. Uh, and, and, you know, doing this with, with kind of OHBM and the size of the membership and, and you know, the structures that are in place, it, it does mean that you can, you can get a lot more um, out of those kind of blog posts and and I think in all cases we've, we've had one of the original authors of the work involved in it you know to make sure that we are representing them in the same way you had Dimitri Coleman you know on the podcast and he was saying well this is what I was trying to get at and you know this is how I was thinking of it um, and so with the cluster failure we had Tom Nichols actually part of that post as well and so um, I think that's been a, a nice way to to go about it without it being too kind of adversarial. Yeah yeah that's a good point. Uh, and, and actually, Tom is a perfect example. I was just thinking he's like, he's the theme of all these controversial papers. He's sort of like a co-author in all of them. But, but then at the same time, he'll give a, you know, a, a, a view that's, uh, that sort of clarifies it as well. <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, uh, um, maybe I should re-interview Tom on the podcast as well. Uh, but I, I see your point. That's actually uh, a really good, uh, a good strategy as far as that's concerned. So. Just to, you know, I, I realize we're we're coming up on almost an hour. Um, uh, just to sort of start to go looking towards the future, um, are there uh, are there any gaps? I mean, we've talked a little bit about gaps in terms of what we'd like to do, but are there uh, are there is it more just a struggle to find people? Is it more a struggle to find the content, or or a struggle to find more? media outlets uh, or to integrate it all? What, where do you think you'll grow as, as far as uh, ComCom is concerned? I can give uh, just one perspective on this, but I, I'm really interested in hearing everybody else's also. Um, one thing that uh, the current leadership has definitely started and will be moving forward to is to get input and contributions from the other committees and special interest groups uh, in OHBM. And this is, you know, because sometimes it can be a little bit tough to just get somebody to write a blog post just in general and submit it to us and, and we'll push that. Um, but we do want to get as many diverse viewpoints um, and also just blog posts and media that focus on different types of issues. And we have a really robust system at OHBM with uh, the diversity and in 
and inclusion committee and um, the uh, sustainability and environmental action special interest group and open science and student postdoc and the brain art and so everybody has uh, a sort of a, a focus that they're really trying to push the field forward on and uh, I know since I was involved with the student postdoc sig that we were writing some of our, our own blog posts but those can dovetail really nicely with the overall mission of the OHBM communication committee too and uh, so I think now we're seeing some of the other committees and SIGs hopefully start to do this more as well so I know the diversity and inclusion committee has a post in the works um, we've had some other posts related to these topics um, so I'm really excited to um, sort of help empower other groups within OHBM uh, to highlight the important issues to each of them. And maybe it'll be uh, a little bit easier to develop some new ideas and new blog posts and media sort of within the group. And then, you know, we can really help amplify them to the rest of the community, to the rest of the brain imaging community. Um, I'm happy to jump in on another aspect, and that is getting people involved. Um, I think the biggest roadblock to that is that communications often feels like a daunting process that we are never taught in our um, education at any level. And oftentimes even it's hard to, to start communication because it's not really rewarded on short-term contracts or by funders or institutions. And I think this is now dramatically changing, at least most institutions that I know, um, which is fantastic. Um, but also on the personal level, if anyone out there has listened to us this far and is now like, mm, I would like to do it, but I'm not quite sure, it's quite, quite intimidating. And we kept saying how different it is to write a blog post, for example. Um, don't be scared, just try it. It's literally a matter of coming on board, get your hands dirty, see if it works, if you like it. And because there is an entire ComCom committee, um, there is a lot of people who are happy to chip in and help or co-write, co-edit, whatever it is that you're interested in. Um, just, just try it out, see if it is for you, uh, especially, sorry, <laughs> especially if you're interested at this point, um, just, just try it, that's my advice. <laughs> So let's say there was somebody who wanted to write a blog post, but was a little worried that they, that do you allow, do you allow anonymous uh, blog posts? Um, so to, just to be a little bit more welcoming to, you know, just in case they. <laughs> we, we haven't actually ever had that request. And also to say um, there's a, there's a whole procedure involved. So if you write a blog post, it'll be reviewed by the, not entire committee, but it has to be reviewed by at least a certain number of people and you get feedback and it's not like you write it and you publish it and it's on there. Um, so as Stephanie said, there's a lot of people who've got experience and they're all very helpful and, and friendly. So we have never actually published anything where the author said, okay, I don't wanna be associated with that because most of the blog posts I would say are actually quite readable. Yeah, but I see Niels has a story for us. <laughs> Sorry, I just remember there was one person, the only person that we've had who've been who's been anonymous, is we had a neuroskeptic uh, writer ah. who 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 you know operates under a pseudonym all the time. So so we have had one. We have had so and and I guess people could come in with a pseudonym if they really wanted to. You know, there's no rules against. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good post actually. Yeah. Oh, well, 
yeah, it's still a mystery to me. I don't know who knows. Maybe they figured it out, but well, either way. <laughs> um, well, that's that's actually good. That's good. Um, that could be a blog post. Who's a neuroskeptic? That would be like a, a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but um, okay, all right. Uh, uh, yeah, it also seems. Um, Right. I mean, so um, I think that it would be fun to sort of encourage people. But it's interesting too. Instead of it's sort of daunting writing your own thing, it might be interesting to encourage. Yeah, I, I used to love. I still. I think that books still exist. Uh, I mean, that they're still coming out. It's, they're called the Edge books. Like, like basically, they publish. They they, they ask a question, um, and they they just get two page responses from experts in the field, and it would be interesting. Uh, to do that sort of thing too. I mean, like having, you know, people who don't want to write a whole blog post, but just want to write like a paragraph or something on, on something, just ask a question. It could be every month we could ask a question or something like that, where, um, and then people can just chime in. Uh, uh, and sort of it gets a, it, it sort of gets a sense of the field uh, a little bit that people could read. It sort of helps to focus, uh, you know, how people's views differ, uh, how there's misunderstandings, how there's, you know, whatever. So anyway. But that's more brainstorming on on future things. If that, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's so many. I just want to emphasize though that there's so many. Uh, communication is so important. We didn't even really get into things like. I mean, I remember when I was talking to uh, the art sig. Um, you know, competitions for the the best. Uh, there's this one guy called Tufty who wrote these books on on visual communication of data. Um, uh, that's, you know, we all struggle with that. And we want to make a graph of something or a brain map or whatever. We all figure out the, the right way to, to collapse the dimensions to, to convey the information as effectively as possible. That's an art as well, uh, just as much, if not more so than, than writing. And uh, uh, it would be cool to have someone, you know, people talk about that or have a competition of uh, uh, the best displays or things like that. Um, Anyway, that, uh, but these are all, or not even a solicited competition. You could just go out and find which ones you like and just post them, you know, what, what are the coolest things and why? Anyway, just, uh, just throwing out ideas, but uh, you have ideas as well. I'm just, uh, just kind of curious. I wanted to say, I love the idea, but I think it, it emphasizes, like, especially the brain art SIG connection you bring up. Like, this is where I think the point you were making earlier, Kevin, about like highlighting the different volunteer efforts that go on in the community. That's such a nice connection there uh, because there is the brain art competition every year near the annual meeting. And that's something that we do usually write up. And so like, if there are future competition formats, if there are other formats that the brain art SIG really takes on, like that's absolutely something we could cover and is like a really nice opportunity for synergy between the groups to make the membership more aware of all these efforts. Yeah. Even yeah. if we can't lead them ourselves. So like, these are all good ideas that could be taken up by anyone and we yeah. would very happily talk about them. And that's important. That's you're like the catalyst to sort of like, you know, amplify it. And, you know, they have ideas, you, you help to amplify it and spread it and communicate it. I like that. Um, yeah. It's uh, turning communication a little bit less from like a one way street into just like a whole town square, right. Where everybody can communicate and we really want to, you know, there, there's some ideas that we have that we want to get out there. We want to write or, or talk about, but really we just want the, the rest of the community to be able to communicate and hear new ideas and, and communicate their new ideas. That's what we're really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and really, you all of you have been doing an amazing job, and and you each bring like really special skills to to this. And um, so, one last one other question before I ask a, my set of last questions, just really quickly. Um, uh, so, uh, so why aren't you a SIG? Uh, it seems that uh, is there a difference? I mean, just so people know, is there a difference between all the committees and SIGs? And why, does anyone know why you're not a SIG, or, or maybe you shouldn't be a SIG? I don't. <laughs> Uh, I can try and give an answer, but I'm very aware that other people should correct me if I'm wrong, because I might say something wrong. Um, I believe the difference is, is somewhat procedural in that SIGs are something where the membership, so special interest groups are something where a certain number of members come forward and there's a petition and they say, we would like to organize a group around this topic. Whereas committees are usually something where uh, council or the, the existing leadership of OHBM recognizes that there's a clear need within the community. And so that need is first proposed and then you find people to take it on. Um, so I don't think it has to do necessarily with like the permanence or uh, kind of the scope of the role so much as how it was initially started. That it does have downstream effects, of course, right? Like, so if it's a community grassroots driven thing, um, it, it gets support differently from the membership, and so therefore it has different constraints and maybe a different longevity. Um, but as a committee, we are, we are very well supported, we are very well placed, we've been very lucky to exist for a little while now, um, and we're, we're hoping to do so over the next couple of years. But yeah, I think that is kind of the, the fact that council recognized early that this was a gap and we needed to find a way to fill it. Um, it also has given us sort of freedom to be like, how how will we fill this gap yeah. over the over the years? Okay, okay, yeah, that's a good answer. I think uh, um, regardless of, I mean, and actually the reality is, regardless of what it is, it's like you're doing this this body of work that's really needed, and you're not, you know, it, you're doing nothing but growing as well. So it's it's awesome. Uh, uh, as far as that's concerned. So just to finally end up uh, <laughs> this podcast, uh, I, I'd, I'd like to just maybe just ask in general, um, you know, how has being a member of this helped you? I mean, I know it's a ton of time. I didn't even get into how much time you actually spent, you know, per week doing work for this, but uh, you might mention that as well. But, but uh, you know, just to realize that it's not only fulfilling, but, but how much, how, how has it helped each of you? I guess it's uh, fun and you meet people. <laughs> and also for me, it's been a good leadership experience as well, um, especially in the international context. It's really nice to work with people around the world and get a grasp of what everyone's doing. Um, so it's, it's an enriching personal experience, I think, um, yeah. on top of the yeah, learning how to write for different audiences. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just echo, echo uh, what Eleanor is saying that, yeah, it gives you a chance to, to lead a team and try and, you know, get things out. Because I think when you're, you're a postdoc, most, most people are PhD students, postdocs when they come in. Uh, and, and then it's like a case where you're doing your own work, you're trying to push your own um, uh, projects along. And, and it gives you a chance to actually, you know, try and have a team of people and make sure everyone's being productive um, and make sure there is kind of output from that team. So that, that's really useful. And I think, yeah, kind of peer-to-peer -peer networking is great. It's, you know, you meet so many people. You also, you know, you, you interview so many people who, who are more established, have, have, you know, inspired your own work and so on. And, and that's like a great aspect to it as well. I'm going to jump in as well. Um, so for me, it was also 
this really the community. Um, so I've been doing um, communication, science communication in various ways since 2009, but I've always done it kind of by myself and just did what I thought was appropriate. And here you really have a sounding board of very clever people who have years long experience and you're not doing it by yourself. There's people who are actually interested in communication um, and they make the ideas better by being your sounding board and talking it through. And we have those long Slack discussions as well where like you can pitch an idea and then people correct it and doing the meeting. So there's really this community sense as well of people being excited about communication and trying to find the best way to get the message across. Another one, another benefit is just the, the practice with writing and communication. I know Peter, you and I have talked about this uh, and it's come up other times, but um, you know, the, the act of writing for a diverse audience or maybe a slightly different audience than you would originally write for is really um, uh, hard and thought provoking. And it makes you uh, really reassess um, what you think you know and, and how you think you should communicate and ultimately just a very enriching experience as a um, contributor to communicate um, complex ideas in new ways and try to, to get them across to a new audience. It's a, it's a really great experience. It's, it's hard work, but it's very rewarding. Yeah, and I think, uh, and I, I, I like to think that's all your supervisors sort of allow, I mean, you know, you're, to the extent that you have supervisors, some of you do, some of you don't, um, you know, that they say, hey, this is great, go for it. Because I think actually, if I were supervising somebody who like a postdoc or, or I would say, you know, this is a great idea. Uh, as long as it doesn't take, you know, 20 hours a week, it, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, like all, for all the reasons you said, the, the networking, the, the, the exercise and communicating, um, just the community where you can actually you know, help in this regard uh, and actually get feedback from a supportive group is just awesome. So uh, hopefully more people will approach you and, uh, and it, you know, this can grow infinitely as far as that's concerned. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth will have to work on the organizational structure as it gets bigger. So. <laughs> but it's a good challenge to have. I mean, I guess the only, I, I did want to add, I feel like I don't have much to add in terms of the benefits because everyone has covered them so nicely. But the only thing I do want to say is like, for me, OHBM has been a really formative organization in my career so far. And having the opportunity to be a part of ComCom, I think is a really wonderful way for people who are invested in OHBM or have, you know, think that OHBM is a really good fit for their career to kind of get to know the whole community because it's come up again and again that ComCom, you know, is a really nice bridge between the different groups. It's sort of a catalyst for a lot of these efforts. So if you'd like to become involved in OHBM more generally, I think that ComCom is a great place to step in because it allows you to really, you know, not only understand what's going on in the organization, but also help it grow and in the process experience all these things that everyone else has brought up, like, you know, leadership opportunities and networking and, and a strong sense of community and an opportunity to expand your skills. This is, I think, a really supportive and wonderful environment, both for you and, and for the efforts of the organization quite broadly. Yeah, I think it's it's like this this lever or the, that helps you, you know, help OHBM a little bit more and it really does help you. I mean, even speaking for myself for the podcast, um, uh, 
uh, you know, I, I have a lot of fun doing this, uh, but at the same time, I, I don't can't even imagine, you know, not only the practical stuff of everyone doing so much work of getting it going, but but just inviting people. Let's say there's people outside of of the OHBM field. If I, you know, being able to put the OHBM by the neurosalience name, uh, sort of, you know, says, hey, it's legitimate and you're part of something, and I'll sure I'll I'll talk with you. Uh, if it's just me. You know, sure, they might talk with me, but it's uh, but a lot of people probably wouldn't just because they're like thinking, oh, it's just, you know. <laughs> so it really does help uh, give you a platform for which you can sort of reach out to people and you have all of OHBM behind you. And, and it, it's really nice as far as that's concerned. So uh, is, there, is there anything any of you would want to talk about in any other way uh, before, before we finish up here? Um, you know, it's been a, a great discussion. I just want to put in a shameless plug for everyone to subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um, and so uh, the YouTube channel is uh, for uh, uh, OHBM or for uh, uh, the, the um, other one. The... In their seminars, uh, both. Okay. So why not subscribe to both? They're quite complimentary in their content. Um, okay. So, yeah, subscribe. <laughs> Okay. All right. And, and yeah, no, YouTube is great as far as, and you can write your comments in right there. You can do whatever you can, you know, add your thoughts. And so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the podcast works, sometimes reading works, but, uh, YouTube is nice in the sense that, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of sometimes easier to access in some way or organize. You get to see everything at once. So great. And also just, just to add to this, we actually need a community to help us grow it because the more we grow the more features we can offer like subtitles and live sessions and all of those so it's really the more people give to us the more we can give back so it's quite a nice yeah. nice way to grow the channel yeah 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 i that's a good point that's a good point so just get engaged so that we can we can grow this uh, all right all right well you know thank you very much Neurosalience is brought to you by the Organization for Human Brain Mapping. This week's episode was produced by Alfie Wine and Stefania Asimopoulos. <laughs>